0: You're listening to the really useful podcast. This is the tech podcast for technophobes. We've got all the latest tech news that matters along with some tips and tricks to help you make the best use out of your technology. My name is Christian Corley from makeusoft.com. Thank you for listening to the show. I'm going to start off with a bit of news and then we're going to be going into some tips and tricks with myself, Ben Stegner and Gavin Phillips. First of all, Russian Windows users are turning to piracy and Linux because Microsoft left Russia following Russia's invasion of Ukraine. And Russia has a big windows problem microsoft stopped product sales of windows and windows computers and we found out uh, thanks to business insider that russia-based web searches for pirated microsoft software have surged by as much as 250 percent and also a 650 percent surge in searches for microsoft excel downloads Now this is an interesting and worrying development because if a black market, which is essentially going to be a free black market, for uh, illegal copies of Windows expands, so more illegal copies of Windows will be available online, which makes them more readily available, which means that they will proliferate. Now, you probably use a legal version of your chosen operating system, but if you were inclined to use a pirated version of Windows, there's more chance that that is not only a security risk, but also it could be one that has been modified by any mischievous person, but particularly in times such as these, modified by Russians to upset your computer system shall we say now piracy is not the answer to anything if you need a free operating system then you can use linux and if you're concerned about the lack in inverted commas of windows support in linux then it's pretty much non-existent these days you can run a large amount of windows software on a linux system either using software like wine or any number of alternatives or companion systems that make running Windows software on Linux possible. Uh, Whether you're English, maybe you're Eastern European or Russian, or wherever you are in the world, you don't need to be using a pirated version of Windows in order to use your computer. We'll move on now to Google, who have just made it a lot easier to switch from an iPhone to Android they've updated the Switch to Android app, which simplifies the transfer from an iPhone to an Android device. Uh, Not long ago, I tried out the process of transferring from Android to iPhone. I was amazed at how slick Apple had made that process. And I was a little bit aggrieved that the Android process wasn't as easy. So this is good news. Switch to Android was originally launched earlier in 2022 but only worked on pixel devices they've now opened up support to all android 12 phones so if you're using an android 12 android device and you're switching from iphone the switch to android app needs to be installed on your iphone you need a google account and it simplifies the entire process Uh, Switch to Android will install the free apps that you had on your iPhone as long as you are available on the Play Store and you may need to repurchase or find equivalents of any paid apps. It will also transfer media content but it will also transfer media content but only the DRM free files. It's a massive advantage and it makes switching between the two platforms really really simple. It's exciting developments and Will it? I mean, if you're someone who has held off on switching from iPhone to Android, then it might be a big advantage to you. I don't think there are that many people these days who are entirely bothered which operating system they are using. They've already made their choice. They've either, you know, they've put their flag in the Android or they've joined the iOS ecosystem. So, In terms of switching, I don't think it's a massive issue, but having the tools there to just simplify the switch, that is great. It feels like it's well beyond time. It should have happened years ago, but it's here now in 2022. That is the end of this section. Christian, you will then, after later on, need to edit the other things into here. And uh, to give you some encouragement in that here is the sound effect we're now going to move on to the weekly tips and tricks with myself christian corley and my make use of really useful podcast colleagues ben stegner and gavin phillips What is USB OTG, and how can you use it? Um, OTG means on-the-go, and it's a standardised specification that allows a device to read data from a USB device without requiring a PC. Now, the best thing about OTG is that it kind of works with old-style micro-USB connectors on uh, Android devices and on USB Type-C devices, as long as you have a suitable connector slash adapter that will do the job, your Android device will almost certainly support USB OTG. What is the most interesting thing you've done with USB OTG, Gavin?
1: Uh, I've used it to install an operating system on someone's computer when it broke. Really, really handy. (laughs) Excellent! (laughs) Yeah, yeah. How can you get better than that? It just shows how powerful it is, really. Yeah, it's super, super handy. It really, really is a really useful tool. I think a really useful tool as well that not many people are aware of or aware of how useful it is.
0: Yeah. So here's a collection of 10 things that you can do with USB OTG. Number one, connect flash drives and external hard drives to your Android device. Number two, play with video game controllers. Number three, control Android with a keyboard and mouse, which I think that's probably the most exciting thing I've done with it. Number four, print directly from a printer. You probably don't need to do that with a wireless printer because obviously there's wireless printer uh, apps for Android. But if your printer doesn't have wireless and you've only got USB, then you can connect directly to USB. You can control a DSLR camera with USB OTG. You can directly transfer photos from a DSLR to your Android phone. It's getting good, isn't it? You can connect and play musical instruments assuming they're MIDI-compatible. You can record audio directly to your phone. And you can connect and access the Internet via an Ethernet cable if you've got a suitable uh, Ethernet-to-USB adapter. And you can even reverse-charge your Android phone. So charge another device from your Android phone.
1: What? (laughs) That's
0: crazy, isn't it?
1: That genuinely is crazy. I, I didn't realize you could even do that. That's bonkers. Wow, I like that. That's a really cool tip. So, yeah, that
0: those things. And all, that's all from the USB cable on your phone. Now, I'm going to stick my neck out and suggest that all of those will work on USB Type-C. I suspect two or three of them won't work on micro USB. So, if you've got a very modern uh, Android phone with USB Type-C connected, that's the sort of uh, cylindrical rounded edge connector rather than the trapezoid uh, connector um, they're almost certainly all going to work for you you may have um, your mileage may vary with uh, micro hdmi um, but that's uh, really cool i I mean i do feel like i should try some of these um, for fun but uh, we'll see how that goes regular listeners will know i recently got a new phone it's a, a nokia xr20 which was reviewed on my cute software and, uh, you know, we all think we know about phones and, yeah, you know, how to use phones, issues surrounding phones. But it turns out a lot of the things that we think we know are actually myths, aren't they, Ben?
2: Yeah, there are plenty that I think myths are interesting because some are some used to be true, but aren't anymore because technology has evolved. You have some that are. There's some a kernel of truth, but it's been taken too far. And then there's some that are just like urban legends that are, you know, scribbled on the bathroom stall or the underpass of the bridge. And it's just, (laughs) they never go away because it's just like a popular misconception.
0: I really like the featured image with this article because in the middle, there's a HTC with our old, um, I used to have a HTC and it had a really useful news tool, which was miles better than the Google news offering at the time.
2: Anyway, I was going to say looking at these images is like a blast from the past because there's a Windows <laughs> phone in there and there's like an yeah. iPhone 6. That is funny to see like that era of phones. I, my first smartphone was an HTC, but it was an older model than that. It still had physical buttons. Actually, it had, t- it had touch buttons. Like they were – the how do I phrase this? The buttons were like built into the device. Right. So like the four symbols were like on the device, but it wasn't like you pressed the button and it was still like a touch sensitive. Bot- Windows it was- Mobile. No, it was an HTC Evo 3D. It was on sprint, and it had two cameras on the back that could take 3D pictures and videos, which was super gimmicky, but pretty cool idea for the time. That was back when 3D was still on its fad. Yeah,
0: my wife had a uh, LG phone that could play 3D, and uh, it was was a real battery eater. But the other thing about this LG phone, which uh, came in useful for uh, helping our readers, was that it had a HDMI port, of all things.
2: Oh, like a mini HDMI? Yeah. Or a full
0: size? It wasn't a full size. It was mini or micro. I can't remember which. Anyhow, back to the point. Popular smartphone myths that aren't true. Number one, apps running in the background should be closed to save battery and avoid slowdowns. There's loads of things that you should do with your phone before you consider even doing that. And in most cases, it's not required because Android and iPhone, or iOS I should say, will do that automatically for you anyway, so...
2: Yeah, this, this one drives me crazy. I don't want to start go too much into it, but I think we talked about this before. I see people do this all the time, and it always drives me crazy because people like constantly swipe away all the apps on their phone and the switcher every time before they, they lock their phone. And I say, this is like if you closed your browser every time you wanted to go to a new website. <laughs> like the apps <laughs> in that list are there for you to be able to easily switch between and jump between, not that you have to force them closed all the time. So that, yeah, it drives me crazy i used to in the early early days of android i used a task killer when i didn't know any yeah. better but yeah, yeah i haven't done it in a long time
0: number two you should let your battery drain completely before recharging now yeah don't do that um lithium iron batteries perform better when they remain charged um some older types of batteries lasted longer when you fully drain them before recharging to 10%, but you really don't need that they don't have this cell memory like the older battery uh, rechargeable batteries do um i i mean the thing about this is i mean it's kind of in some cases you're going to have your battery run out and that's totally fine but it's also totally fine if you don't let it run down and you do put it back on charge at night or whatever um the trickle charge is best for the battery isn't
2: it it is yeah it's it's based about the cycles which we talked about before you know your battery going from 100 to 50 and then being charged from 50 back up to 100 and then dropping back down to 50 that's one cycle in the same way that 100 to 0 is i think uh that the cur- the current wisdom now is that like 80% is about the max you should charge your phone to i want to say both android and iphone uh, ios now have a feature where like on on an iphone if you if you have your alarm set for whatever time and your phone is plugged in overnight it'll like know that you're going to be getting up around that time so it won't like fully charge your phone to 100% until it, just before you're going to get up Um, because charging it over that 80% number is like the magic number to where it's not using as much of a cycle or something like that. Um, I don't know how much wisdom there is to that, but there's a couple apps on Android that help you do that too.
0: Yeah. Bluetooth and Wi-Fi Direct kill your battery. Uh, I mean, there was a time when it was kind of battery intensive with very large files, but who transfers very large files wirelessly? I know people do. Let's not pretend that they don't. But uh, these days, that's not an issue. Uh, Bluetooth and Wi-Fi Direct uh, are—you know—we've got better battery capacity. We've got uh, smarter uh, network capabilities with those technologies. It's not really a problem unless you're d- really doing something. To ju- I mean, maybe you. No, it's just not going to happen unless you—you know—try and download a server or something.
2: The on- the only thing I can see that would clarify this is if you have. Like an apple watch or a smartwatch or similar connected to your phone on bl- with bluetooth and it's constantly downloading apps or sending things back and forth then that might use more battery but the simple act of having bluetooth turned on and not doing anything is going to use b- almost no battery do higher phone specs mean better performance ben uh in some cases yes in some cases no um, a lot of the time, especially with Android phones, because Apple doesn't really release specs much for iPhone, um, a lot of the time with Android phones, they manufacturers will list, you know, how much RAM the phone has and how many megapixels the camera is and things like that. Um, a lot of that is just kind of marketing. Like they want to say that there's 12 cameras or they want to say that there's X megapixels, but if the phone doesn't focus clearly or it doesn't handle dark images well and, and when there's no light, that's not really great. Um, So, yeah, stats, I mean, specs matter. You know, obviously, uh, a $500 phone is going to usually be better than a $100 phone, um, but that it's not everything. And a phone can be really great because the software is well optimized without having insanely high specs.
0: The only charger you should be using is the one that came with your phone. Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, um, there is some truth to this in that you could quite easily end up going to a uh, local store thrift store, whatever, and uh, buying the really terrible quality charge cable that doesn't do the job very well or breaks very quickly. And the ones that ship with your device are usually better quality. Then again, we're talking about a device that's getting charged every day, potentially, sometimes more than that. And if you're going to be plugging it in regularly, you know, it stands to reason you should be using a decent cable. So Stay away from the very cheap ones. You don't have to rely on the one that shipped with it. But if you're going to buy a replacement, buy something that's quality.
2: Yeah, that's definitely, you're right. There's definitely a happy medium. You don't, if you have an iPhone, you don't have to buy an expensive cable from Apple, but you shouldn't buy, that's something I would never buy at like a dollar store, like you said, because they're just so junky. And unless it's an absolute emergency, you're on a road trip and you forgot your cable or something. But there's a lot of good brands like Anchor that that sell like three packs so you can or, or five packs and you can just kind of yeah. scatter them around your house and then you have a high quality charger to use everywhere. But you definitely don't have to stick with the best one. We've got some
0: nice uh, sort of, uh, um, Cotton bound, fabric bound cables, which uh, tend to be hardier than the plastic ones.
2: Yeah, I have some braided cables too, and I yeah, agree. That's what I'm of looking for. Yeah, th- throw them's not the right word, but you can kind of throw them around more, and they're not like that brittle plastic that breaks right on the, the connector part.
0: Absolutely. Now then, do I need to apologize to my phone, Ben, because it says here that charging your phone overnight kills the battery? I
2: don't know if you need to apologize. Maybe, uh, <laughs> maybe in an email, like we learned about a few weeks ago. Um, yeah, that's another one that's not really true. It's kind of like a, it was another one I would file under like it was true at one point, but isn't really the case now. Um, older batteries didn't quite know when they were full, um, so they would kind of overcharge or they would like drop and recharge. Um, I would say if you have to make a choice, probably better to not charge it overnight because of what we talked about before with the 80% and all that, but it's not going to hurt it to do that. Um, most of them know how to like drop and then trickle charge back up, so it's not like it's you're heating it up because it's on 100% all night. Number seven, apps downloaded from Google Play or Apple App
0: Store are completely safe. This is, of course, nonsense, as we've found in numerous occasions recently. Uh, there are bad people developing apps that appear to be innocent, and these apps are getting permissions on phones to then collect data about how you use your phone. And you and personal details as well. And uh, this has happened repeatedly. Particularly, it's happened with Apple, but it's happened repeatedly on Google Play, and um, basically anywhere you get an APK installation file for Android is has a level of risk to it. So stick with on both platforms. Stick with trusted developers with good reputations and a good set of reviews. And if it's a new app, wait until you've seen some good reviews.
2: And don't download stuff that's a lot of, when you see these lists of like, Google just removed 25 apps from the app, from the Play yeah. Store that are malware, it's all like shady wallpaper apps and like just junk, like scammy looking solitary. There's, there's better versions of pretty much all of this stuff. So if it looks like a scammy one that barely anybody uses, it probably is a problem.
0: Ben. I am an evil perpetrator on CSI or NCIS or a movie or I've been wrongly accused and someone is chasing me. I've decided to turn off my phone, remove the SIM card
2: and put it in airplane
0: mode. Can I be tracked? Uh,
2: yes, you can, because that's not a hundred percent. There's a lot of radios in your phone that, that airplane mode or turning it off don't don't turn off. Um, so airplane mode, I think we discussed this before, airplane mode basically turns off all the wireless radios in your phone. Um, so Wi-Fi turns off, your cellular connection turns off, usually Bluetooth turns off, but you can actually have Wi-Fi and or Bluetooth turned on in airplane mode and some phones now like if you are using Bluetooth and you turn Wi-Fi off it keeps Bluetooth turned on so you don't disconnect your headphones or whatever. Um, GPS is the big one that's not affected by airplane mode on pretty much any phone so GPS isn't a wireless radio um, so having that still turned on means your phone could be tracked. your SIM also, there's there's identifiers in your phone that don't require your SIM card, and also there are features like Apple's Find My iPhone network, or Find My network now I guess it is, can detect where your phone is based on it coming into contact with other Apple devices, which is something they introduced when the AirTag came out. Um, now, those other people don't know that they're walking by Ben Stegner's phone or whatever, but they know that it'll, it'll update the location with Apple. Um so yeah, there's a lot of ways that your phone can be tracked even if you think it's turned off and hidden.
0: Yeah. You could remove the battery and you could ditch the phone or you could uh, stick it in a lead block or a faraday cage. Just for all you uh screenwriters spies. out there. Yeah. And <laughs> and and genuine spies maybe. Yeah. Uh automatic brightness settings save battery. That isn't true. The idea is that using the onboard light sensor of a smartphone can automatically calibrate the ideal brightness setting to save power. But in fact, it might save you a tiny bit of battery by dimming your screen when appropriate. But the light sensor uses more power over the day by constantly pinging the CPU to process the data it collects and decides if a lower or higher brightness setting is appropriate. I didn't know that one. That's really interesting.
2: Yeah, I guess I didn't think about that. Um, that's, That's probably something, I wouldn't say this is like a massive battery concern. I would say that's best for just use Whatever you value more with, with between convenience and eking out every last bit of your battery. If you're constantly changing locations during the day, and it's sunny outside, and then you're inside and all that, and you don't want to have to worry about opening the quick menu on your phone and changing the brightness, I don't think you're going to be like draining massive amounts of battery to have auto brightness. But like anything else, anything that takes power on your phone is going to require the battery. And really, it would probably... The screen is one of the biggest drainers on your phone, so yeah. it probably – it takes more battery to have your phone at super high brightness all day than it does for it to check every once in a while and adjust. So yeah. whether yeah. you do it through automatic brightness or manual, lower your brightness if you're looking to save battery is the takeaway yeah. there.
0: Yeah, yeah. And uh, this one's... I had to mute to uh, have a little bit of a chuckle whilst I was reading this next one there. The open-source nature of Android makes it more prone to vulnerabilities. Now, this is quite an interesting myth because most people don't know that Android has anything... is open-source, basically. Um, And, you know, that doesn't necessarily make it more prone to vulnerabilities. Any operating system, any software can be prone to vulnerabilities. And uh, Android is remarkably secure. In fact, I think... I'm, you know, Android is derived from Linux and I, I'm i guessing, you know, it is, aside from web servers, it is the widest, in fact, it's probably more widely used than web servers, so it's probably the most secure version of Linux, and I guess that makes it the most secure operating system on the planet, really.
2: Yeah, I, well, Android's more popular than Windows, I think, just yeah. based on raw, but that includes, like, Android being installed on like smart phones, like, like tablets, boxes, smart TVs and stuff. Yeah, yeah it's not yeah. just phones, but yeah, no. but um, yeah, I, I guess you're right because probably I would say the reason for that is that Android has more built in protection out of the box than even like Linux. Because I'm not that there's a ton of Linux malware, but I mean, you could, in theory, down, down, install Linux, open up your browser, and download some malware like that. Whereas on Android, there's a few steps in place to prevent you from doing that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So the, I, I guess the key with this myth is that open source doesn't mean insecure. It's the fact that Android lets you install apps from anywhere, whereas iOS doesn't. Um, another really big key factor, too, is that iPhone apps are sandboxed, which means that even if you had a malicious app, like it can't. If you don't give it permission to access your contacts, for example, like an app just can't randomly decide to read data from another app, um, yep. whereas that's a little bit less restricted on Android, That's which is another factor too. So as usual, it all comes down to what you download and where you get it from.
0: Let's move on now to USB devices. We're back on that topic. And how to format a write protected usb flash drive sometimes you use a usb device uh, a storage device and it will tell you that you can't write to it even though it appears that there's plenty of space on it uh, this is a write protect error it can be that the drive is corrupted but it might not be completely balked and uh, fortunately there are ways to get around this. The first thing to do is to check the switch on the USB drive. A lot of older USB drives have a little physical switch at the side, which will um, enable and disable write protection. So check this isn't accidentally enabled and preventing you from writing to the disk. If that hasn't worked, then you can remove USB write protection with a Windows tool called Diskpart. This is a little involved, but you'll find steps for this in the linked article in the show notes. It is an application that runs in the uh, command line, however, so you'll need to be um, prepare yourself, gird your loins for using the command line <laughs> in Windows for <laughs> that one. Because, you know, the command prompt or
1: uh, the, the more recent, uh, what's the new one called? Um, there was PowerShell, but on Windows 11, it's now called the Windows Terminal. I knew it had changed.
0: Uh, So, yeah, you'll need to use one of those tools for that. Um, The third option is to give up with the data that's already on the drive. Um, Back it up, as you should be able to, because you should still be able to take data off the drive, and use a formatting tool such as SD Formatter or Kingston Format Utility. And if that doesn't work, then you probably need a new USB drive. Now, um, in the guide it says it's probably time to uh, buy a new USB drive, and it may well be. Uh, However there are long guarantees on such devices. So if you can read the serial number and you know where you bought it from, you should be able to process a return. Now, I should warn you, the serial numbers on USB drives and on microSD cards as well are really, really small. <laughs> really small. So you will need some sort of bright light and microscope. And I'm looking at one now. There's no way I'm going to read that with a naked eye. Good Lord. Not even with a torch, I don't think. Yeah, so uh, you will need some sort of magnifying glass and maybe a few pairs of glasses stacked up in front of it <laughs> uh, in order to read that serial number and uh, process the return. But it's worth doing. I've uh, returned a few uh, micro SD cards and a couple of uh, USB sticks in the past and, you know, it saves money. And they're under guarantee anyway. They're under warranty, so you might as well use that. Has that ever happened to you, Gavin?
1: yeah it has um and it was actually um something something different from the list actually it was that a file name had become corrupt and had attempted to exceed the file name character limit which oh, oh. somehow lock the drive i've no idea how it happened but um, I eventually got it got it fixed uh, using a using a tool that I downloaded online I can't remember what the tool's called unfortunately but that's yeah another way that it can become um, apparently corrupt and locked overnight despite nothing looking like it's changed yeah if it's become corrupt and it's exceeded the character file limit um, so yeah that's another thing to look out for.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this week's really useful podcast from com. As ever, if you've heard anything that you think would be of assistance to any of your friends or family, then by all means, share it with them. If you've come across something that is an amazing new tip, please share it. You can share the podcast anywhere on Facebook, on Twitter, whatever social network you're using. And if you have any requests, uh, please get in touch with us either through the Facebook thread or via twitter and if you could leave a review for us on apple podcasts that will help us to get the podcast in front of more and more people myself christian corley gavin phillips and ben stegner will be back until then it's goodbye from us